This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. A few weeks introducing the Bible and asking the question, what is this book, this book that we talk about and this book that we speak from every week of the year? So we thought we'd take a few weeks to speak about it and that's what we've been doing and the first week we talked about scripture's story that fundamentally what we have in this collection of books is something that points us to this central character named Jesus and that together we have this overarching story that helps us make sense not only of the parts of the text that we read but this story is a story that helps us make sense of life. And then on week two, we talked about Scripture's voice, the fact that as Christians, we receive the Bible as Scripture, the Word of God. And if you feel like that, you've still got questions about that, maybe you missed part one or part two, I would invite you to listen to those on the podcast and really wrestle with those questions and think about those things for yourself. And hopefully by now we're understanding some of the why. Some of the why of why scripture is central to us as a church. And some of the why is why scripture would be important for you in your life. And we're going to talk not much longer about the why this morning. Because I hope the why is already being understood and stirred up within you. But for some of us this morning we're going to talk about scripture's use. And for some of us, the use for a Bible might be to kind of look good, you know, on the bookshelf. You know, most households in this country and most countries in the Western world have a Bible. But most of the time, it's a, it's a bit of a prop. It's a, it's a bit of an ornament. Maybe for you, you know, it, it props up that wonky table leg, you know, so it is actually quite useful. But maybe Scripture's use could be a little bit more than that. Scripture talks about itself in a really interesting way. It says this in Hebrews chapter 4, that the Word of God is living and active. It's alive. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Something about scripture that makes it not just a book or even an ancient book where so we might consider it even more dead and even more archaic and even more irrelevant because of its ancient nature. But there's something about its quality that means it's alive. There's a living component to it. That it's actually an active ingredient. It says this in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's like that kind of lamp, that torch, that flaming torch that ancient people might have carried through a forest or a dark area, no street lighting, but it was lighting forward the step and the next step. It's kind of like the light of the sun that illuminates and and makes sense of everything, helps us to see the horizon. Jeremiah 23 Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces? Just think about that. You know, we think maybe this is a prop. Maybe it's for propping up a table leg. Maybe it's for 
just something that we have to have, but we don't really engage with. Maybe it's just dead. Maybe it's just old. But Scripture is saying about itself that it's actually alive, that it can actually be a light to us, and it actually can help us understand how we should live. And actually, there's some metaphors for Scripture that actually talk about it as being quite powerful, quite explosive. But it's like a fire. It's like a hammer. We're going to explore what that might mean today. Scripture's use. If you're thinking about Scripture's use, then we need to get a hold of these metaphors. Well, it's a bit like a lamp. It's a bit like a fire. It's a bit like a a hammer. It's a bit like a sharp sword. The metaphors help us understand Scripture's use. The thing about the Bible is we don't just read the Bible... But when we read the Bible, the Bible reads us. The Bible says something to us. It it, it challenges us. It speaks back to where we're at. As Life Church, we have a set of values that define who we are as a community and that we can uh, agree and gather around uh, together. And uh, one of them is to be a biblical community. We value the scriptures and we believe in the transforming power of God's word. That there's actually something that happens, a dynamic with scripture where it can actually be involved in the process of us changing, of us being transformed, of us actually becoming different, of us actually becoming who we are meant to to be. And if that's happening in your life, if you're really finding that positive change is happening for you, that you're becoming more like Jesus, then you're going to find time for it. If the process is making a difference in your life, it's something that you will make a priority. But if it isn't, then sometimes we get into this cycle of we don't engage with the Word, So it doesn't make a difference in our life. So it doesn't have a place in our life. But when it actually really is making a difference to you, you won't need somebody to tell you to read it, which never works anyway. But when it makes a difference to you, and you actually find that with the challenges that you face and the opportunities that you have and the decisions that you have to make and the questions about purpose and identity and future, and you actually engage and something comes alive, and it doesn't just become reading a book, but it becomes a dynamic and something interactive, then actually you don't need anybody to tell you to read it. But you have your own passion to read it. And by doing that consistently, submitting to that process, getting it inside of us, having it be something that is part of us, not something that we refer to when things go wrong. You know, usually at that point, it's too late. Usually at that point, it's hard to dig ourselves out of that kind of hole. But if it's with us, if it's part of us, then it is something that can be an anchor that we grab hold of. There was a moment in Jesus' life, and it was one of the toughest moments in his life, and it's told about in Matthew chapter 4, and he's tested in the wilderness. And how he gets through this, this testing and this trial is by using the Word. 
is by Scripture. And he quotes back Scripture at everything that afflicts him and every accusation and everything that comes against him. He speaks out the Word of God that is true in that situation, even though it is in a difficult wilderness time. And, you know, as he does that, all the three quotations that Jesus uses are from the book of Deuteronomy, which is a book that's near the beginning of the Old Testament. It was part of the Hebrew Bible, the Scriptures for the Jews. And he uses these three scriptures from the book of Deuteronomy and he quotes them out from memory. Now I wonder, when I'm in a tough spot, when I'm in a challenge in my life, if whether I thrive and get through and come out strong through that situation is determined by my memory and knowledge of the book of Deuteronomy, would I fare as well as Jesus did? Isn't it amazing that Jesus had something with him that he could use, that helped him, that dug him out of a tough, tough spot? How did he do that? He did that from a process of engaging with and learning and memorizing the scripture. And we need to get into a habit of reading it regularly, not referring to it when something goes wrong, but having it inside us. You know, scripture doesn't yield its fruit to the lazy but we struggle with that because we live in an image-based culture. And what we do is we, we maybe get home from work and we stick the TV on. And you don't have to do much. It's pretty passive. You sit down, you grab some snacks, and you just kind of let it wash over you. Or, or, or you get home and you get your phone out and you can just maybe scroll through some pictures. Or maybe open your laptop and jump onto some websites or social media and we, we just kind of let these things just, just kind of scroll by in this image-based culture where everything's instant and all this content's there for us to access. But with scripture, we don't have that. We actually have something that can be so much richer than that experience, but we actually have to be involved in the process to, to see the fruit come out in our lives and we struggle with that and maybe that's something that we need to struggle with you know often if you struggle with something it means you should struggle with it does that make sense like if something's challenging maybe you that's something right now that you need to wrestle with and that process of wrestling with it will produce something in you or allow you to overcome or help you to think differently So remember, often next time you're struggling with something, maybe you should struggle with it. Not continue in difficulty, but get a hold of it and push through it and come out stronger. And often we're we're frustrated with this because you might think, well, I've tried to read the Bible. It was difficult. I've tried to study the Bible. I didn't really know where to begin. But, you know, if we stop doing things because we couldn't do them perfectly... We wouldn't do anything at all. Last year, Yaya Torre had an unbelievable season, particularly with direct free kicks. He scored four out of six. Now, you might think, okay, he's a professional footballer, he's paid a lot. The very best players almost never get past 10%. So you could pick out Ronaldo and Suarez and great free kick takers, Bale. They, to, to get close to 10% is a phenomenal season. But Yaya Torre got four out of six. That is a season 
for the record books. But even he missed two. Like, even he missed two. And the fact is that imperfection is part of the human condition. We don't do everything perfectly. So maybe when it's come to reading the Bible and maybe trying to get into studying the Bible, you find it difficult. You don't think you do it perfectly. Well, that's okay. None of us do. But part of life is learning to, to push through the things that sometimes we find difficult and go forward and grow and develop. And we do it in so many areas of our life. But I meet people that when it comes to their business, they're thriving and strong and growing and employing and helping people. But when it comes to the scripture, they're still in preschool. I I meet people who who are building, uh, you know, uh, uh, great things and significant things in their life and can maybe talk very eloquently about their career or the things that they do and their passion for it. But, But when it comes to the scripture, they haven't made it out of primary school. And you know, we need to be involved in this process that, yes, sometimes it might be frustrating. Yes, we can't do it perfectly, but we can do it. It's part of being a human being to push through these challenges. Not think, well, I went home from church, I read it once, didn't bother with it, so I've put it down, I haven't picked it up since. Well, that kind of approach is not something we would take into any other area of our life or we would be in real trouble. Only people with real difficulty, like real unbelievable needs and addictions live in that place. Most of us don't live in that place. So why do we take that attitude to Scripture? I just think, don't be so hard on yourself. Be a little bit more patient with it. This is accessible. It just involves a little bit of application. And we want to help you with that today. You know, there are different levels to knowledge, but that doesn't mean that you can't know something, that you can't access something. You, you see, you, you might meet somebody who, who knows everything about a subject, but you can still access that same subject and learn something about it and gather something. You know, if your child comes to you when they're small and says, I love you, do you sit them down? And I saw this the other week with a two-year-old. That a two-year-old says, I love you, and it's a great moment, and people celebrate it. Or do we sit them down and say, well, hang on a second. I don't think you really understand what love is. You see, love's complicated. You see, sometimes things happen in life. Sometimes, you know, people fall out, and there's arguments and disagreements, and, and that can lead to estrangement, and it can lead to broken relationships. And, you know, love, you know, it involves patience. You have to love me all of the time. And it involves being kind, and sometimes you aren't like that. And to say I love you without any qualification it is actually a very dangerous kind of statement. You don't say that to a child. Because to a child in that moment, it means something to them. It's real for them. They've got a hold of something. And as they grow, they will develop and they will learn more of what that means. And that is cool. And it's the same with Scripture. That even this afternoon, you can grab something. You can get a hold of something. And it is true. And it will remain consistent. And you might develop further depth and further understanding as you go along. But that doesn't have to invalidate the fact that you can get hold of something. There are different levels to knowledge. There are different levels of experience. But that doesn't mean that they're not all valid or true or authentic. 
Don't make it out to be harder than it is. I just think if we're really struggling with something, maybe we could try praying about it. I mean, if, if God, like we talked about last week, has given us this, then maybe if we pray before to be opened into the right mentality, maybe if we pray during when we're struggling with things, maybe if we pray after to learn what we should do with it, then God can help us. So what I want to do this morning is give you a little bit more help than that and say, how do I study the Bible? Well, I want to give you a method that anybody can use. You could be one of the most respected biblical studies professors in the world. You can still use this method with the tools that you have. You could have never read the Bible before, but as long as you can read and write, you can use this method. If you can't read or write, then you can probably modify this method and still use it. But anyone who can read and write, anyone can study the Bible. And they can study it using this method. And all you have to do is make three steps. One, two, three. And the first step is observation. Observation asks this question. What do I see? You've got to be writing this down. Maybe on your phone, maybe a notepad. But what do I see? Observation. How many of us just... Go by in life without really observing things. How many steps are on the staircase in your home? I mean, you walk up and down them all the time. Do you know how many steps? You drove, to, you drove here maybe this morning. How many traffic lights did you go through? Well, I, I don't know. I just, okay, here's, a, here's another one. What year was the human rights campaigner Elizabeth Fry born? Well, come on, that's obscure. How, how could I know that? Well, it's on the back of a five-pound note. 1780. But we don't observe. We, we interact with things, but we don't really observe it. And it, it's often we will read the Scripture and we kind of will read it, but we don't really observe what's really there. Psalm 119, I love this, that you should read the whole chapter this week to reflect on what the Word of God is and what it does. And it says this, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. The first step, that is, observation. You know, you have to concentrate. You can't multitask and study the Bible. You can't do it with the TV on. You, you, you can't do it while you're running around doing a number of things. You have to concentrate. Stop and observe. Write things down. What do you observe here? What do you see in this text? You might think, well, well, well what, what do I write? Well, ask questions. Ask questions of the text. Think, well, I, I don't know what questions. It, it, it's the Bible. It's weird to me. It's foreign. What do I ask? Well, it's simple. What kind of questions can we ask in English? What, where, why, how, which, when? Simple questions. Ask these questions and write down your observations. We haven't got time to do the full thing this morning and show you the process, but let's just do really quickly. Like the text from last week, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And they'll put it on the screen for you. All Scripture 
is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So begin to ask these questions. What's there? Observe. Just go through it. Write down some notes. It's not all Scripture. What's he talking about? What's Scripture when he's written here? What would have been Scripture to them? Well, the whole New Testament wouldn't have been written. So he's talking primarily here about the Old Testament, but we, we've come to understand it as the whole of the Scripture that we've received as Christians. So I'll maybe make a note about that. God breathed. What does that mean? That's kind of a weird word. It's a compound word. They've stuck two words together. What? I've maybe got a question about that. It's useful. Okay, I'm getting an idea now of the application of what Scripture could be. Let me write down those things. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. What is the place of those things? How do they work? Maybe I could ask some who questions. Who's Timothy? And find out. Okay, well, he's a young guy. He's a young leader. Okay, so why is it, why to a young leader who is experienced, who is inexperienced, sorry, is the writer emphasizing the place of Scripture? Well, maybe because he's young, maybe because he's inexperienced, he needs some kind of foundation. He, he needs to be reminded that there's something here that, that is consistent, that's tested, something that can use, something that's helpful for him in the role that he's in. That's a who question. When are they writing this? Well, it's in the early church, so they haven't yet got to the point like we are today, where we have this book bound up, and as Christians, we consider it as scripture and as authorized. So he's beginning to establish that foundation by what he's saying when. So you begin to ask these questions, and we haven't got time to go on, but just write down some of your observations, what you actually see in the text. Memorize the text. Can you tell someone else a story? Well, like, if we mentioned a, a biblical story right now, like Daniel or Joseph, would you be able to tell that story faithfully? I mean, you, you might not have every detail, but it was faithful and it made sense and it was in the correct order. And it, are you able to do that? That's something you can do by just observation, by memorizing. Memorizing individual verses is a big part of observation that's going to help you. This verse is a great verse to memorize. And then what you can do is you can meditate on it. You can reflect on it. I often remember verses of scripture before I go to the dentist. Because I hate going to the dentist. So while I'm sat in the chair, I'm thinking with my mouth open, you know, all scripture is God breathed. What does that mean? What does that look like? It gives you, it puts you off. It, it, it takes your mind off the pain. It's a great idea. Uh, it's the kind of thing you can do. I was sat in the doctor's uh, waiting room a few months ago and I memorized about 10 verses out of Jeremiah because the doctor never keeps your, their appointment, even though they always tell you, you have to keep your appointment. What's that about? It's not acceptable in business. Why is it anyway? So, so it gives you that time, that 10, 15 minutes where the doctor makes you wait to let you know how important he or she is. You can memorize the scripture. Just, just an idea. So, so memorize it. Just let me throw out some things for observation. We haven't got time to, to do the whole kind of gamut of this, but let's just throw some out. Read from different perspectives. If there's several characters in a story, read it from different perspectives. How would that character react? Write down. Think about the grammar. Oh, this is one for you English students. Anyone with an English literature degree, maybe. Think about the grammar. What are the verbs in the 
text? What are the important words? How does the author use structure? Learn how to read. It will help you to read the Bible. Work with a verse. Work with a paragraph. Think about uh, how you're getting a hold of it. Things that can help you with this observation is things like the names of the books and the chapter and the verse structure. So we talk there about 2 Timothy. So this is the second letter written to a man named Timothy. And the books of the Bible, sometimes they're written named after the author. Sometimes they're named after the person it was written to. Sometimes it describes what happens in the book. Sometimes it describes the type of book it is. There's all different things. So that can help you with your observations. Think about how it works within the book. Make your own tables, make your own charts of things, find connections, draw graphs, make outlines, summarize arguments, create surveys, rewrite passages, find connections, observation. It's not something you can learn just by me saying it to you, but what I'm trying to do is stir up a process that you get involved with it and get other people who can come alongside and help you get better at it. And good observation is required before we can move forward. You see, people will say things like, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. But observation tells us it doesn't say that. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's just observation. But after observation comes the second step. Firstly, observation. Secondly, interpretation. And interpretation asks this question, what does it mean? What does it mean? The truth is this. Everybody interprets the Bible. And people, some Christians and some academics have tried to say, no, no, we're not interpreting the Bible. We're just coming from this purely neutral and objective stance where we're we're just going to read it. But the truth is, none of us can do that. And it's been shown over recent time that every one of us comes to the text with presuppositions, with assumptions. You've lived for some length of time before you've come to read the Bible because you can read. So everything that's happened to you, you carry with you as you begin to read it. So you are not objective. So when you read it, you interpret it, you read it as a 21st century Western person. And people in other parts of the world and in other times and with different levels of education read it differently to you and to me. Every one of us interprets. So we can't say that we don't interpret the the Bible. But what integrity says is, although we all have presuppositions, I'm going to admit what mine are. I'm going to admit that I come to this text with some baggage. And I'm going to be willing to engage with people who have different viewpoints. But as Christians, one of the reasons we read the Bible is we believe it's able to challenge our assumptions. We believe it's able to transform us and change the things that we come to it with. There's a distance between us and the text, so everybody interprets. We have no idea what it was like to be a Christian for the people who first read Mark's Gospel. We have no idea what it was like to be a Jew in exile in Babylon. We can only read about it and study it. There's a distance between us and the text. It's a different culture. It's a different time. It's a different way of God interacting with people. So we have to interpret it because of this distance. Even things that seem clear-cut, a commandment like from Exodus, you shall not kill. Well, that's pretty obvious. We don't need to interpret that. You just read it and you obey it. You shall not kill. But does that forbid capital punishment? 
Should Christians join the military? Does it apply to animals? See, it requires interpretation. Everything requires interpretation. And this quote is important. The principle of read the Bible, obey the Bible, is not only simplistic, it is also very dangerous. You see, because this is what fundamentalists do. This is what terrorists do. They have their sacred text, and they're using their text to justify what they do. This is the difference about Christianity. It's about Jesus. And because it's about a person, not a text, Christianity is different from every other religion. It's different from every cult and abusive religion because it says, no, we're human beings, we're intelligent people, we've received this, but we need to do the job of interpreting it. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to challenge things. It's okay to wrestle with things. We don't take something unthinkingly. We receive it with faith, but at the same time, we use everything we've been given to wrestle with it and to discover Jesus. Because if not, you might find yourself blowing up a building. That's what happens when you don't interpret. I don't want to be in that position. But the Bible helps us with this. How do we best read and especially read the Bible? Well, the answer is read the Bible to find out. The Bible includes what we call hermeneutics, things that help us understand how we should interpret the Bible. Interpret the Bible in these ways. Firstly, with the help of the Spirit. John 16, 13 says this, that when he, Jesus said, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He'll not speak on his own. He guides us into truth. As we receive this as the word of God, we're actually praying and saying, God, we need your help to understand this because it can be foreign to us. But we believe and ask that you will help us with it. But I want to give you a bit more help than that. Two other things to help you interpret. Not only the spirit, but secondly, context. Context is so important. If we were to see an abbreviation like BC... It might mean before Christ, or British Columbia, or Boston College. It depends on the context. And the same with Scripture. This quote's helpful. Each word must be understood within its own verse. Each verse within its own chapter. Each chapter within its own book. Each book within its own historical, cultural, and indeed canonical, which means the, the gathering of this library of books together, setting. Use the tools that we've given you over the last few weeks to understand context. We talked about a six-act story. The Bible does this itself. Paul interprets the Old Testament, what we call Christologically, according to Christ. And it kind of puts this veil over everything that because of what Jesus has done, everything's different. So when we read the Old Testament now, we read it differently from how people read it then. It's an issue of context. Use that Consider the big story. God's on a mission. God loves you. Remember that context when you wrestle with some different, difficult passages. Consider the genre of the book. We read poetry different from how we read the washing machine instruction manual. So why do we read all the books of the Bible the same? They're different. There's a book in the Bible that is just erotic poetry. Then there's another book in the Bible, which is like a list of families. 
and lists of numbers. And then there's books which are eyewitnesses' accounts about how Jesus lived. These books are different. So think about the genre of the book that you're reading when you read it. When it comes to context, think about their context. What was the situation? What was going on at the time? And think about our context. The fact that we're reading from a different place to where they were at. So we can't lump all of our modern assumptions onto what we read in the text. And if you find these things difficult, there are lots of tools that are available out there to help you. And what I'm going to do is post up a list on the city. And maybe if you're listening to this or you're not part of our church and on our online community, the city, then send us an email. And we'll send those out to you and show you some tools to help you. But you could also just ask somebody. So your third help for interpretation is community. Community. You see, as... People in our tradition of church, evangelicals, have have often thrown this out because uh, there are are three kind of uh, legs and three emphases that different traditions have have, have weighted themselves on. And kind of a very, the established church and the Catholic church has put a bigger emphasis on tradition. And the liberals have put a bigger emphasis on reason. And evangelicals have put a bigger emphasis on scripture. But the important thing for evangelicals is to not throw out those other elements, but understand that these things can help us, that the tradition of the church, smart people have actually been wrestling with this book for thousands of years. Maybe we can learn something from them. Maybe your wacky idea that nobody else agrees with is just wacky. And maybe we can learn something from other people. Community. You know, this The book, the Old Testament for the rabbis, it it was a communal book. Reading was something that started a conversation. So so what about talking about it over a life group? What about asking some people who maybe have been down the track a bit longer than you? What about just beginning to discuss this? What about using these things and interpreting in community? And the final thing is the band come back up. Three steps. Observation, interpretation, application. How does it apply? You know, we said earlier that the principle of read the Bible, obey the Bible is not only simplistic, it's dangerous. But the principle of read the Bible, explain it away, and carry on living however I want to, is foolish. In James chapter 1, he talks about this idea that we shouldn't just merely listen to the word, but do what it says. It goes on about talking about that people who don't do that are like people who look at their face in the mirror and then go away and forget what they look like. But verse 25 says this, look intently into it, continue, don't forget what you've heard, but do it. Then you'll be blessed. Then it will make a difference to you if you take the last step. The last step is so important. We can't stop after two steps. It's not just a process of increasing our knowledge, but God didn't give us this book simply to increase our knowledge, but that the knowledge might make a difference in our lives, that it might actually help us to change. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. I love this. Verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of man and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. 
on a solid foundation, hearing the words and putting them into practice, observing them, interpreting them to understand what they mean, and then applying them, putting them into practice. It builds a solid foundation. You can build something on that, something that gives shelter to others, something that can be a place of resource, something that can be a help to you. Your life can begin to build. If you'll read it, you'll understand it, and you'll apply it. It builds, and it builds, and it builds. We have to get to the step of applying. Like I think of my friend Scott over here. And Scott's got this bass guitar around his neck. And um, (laughs) this bass guitar, you know, we... I'm sure Scott could t- tell you all, all about this guitar, and he could tell you the, the wood, and he could tell you the finish on it, and he could, he could tell you how many frets are on it, and, and the pickups, and, and, and why he, you know, he's chosen this shape, and, and this finish, and, and all the detail of it. And it could even tell you things about, about music, and about the notes that are involved in music, and, and the scales, and all this kind of knowledge, and, and we could discuss it for hours. I'm... Sometimes, as musicians, we do discuss it for hours, and we could, we, could, we could get into all this kind of detail about it, but the reality is the guitar is meant to be played, and without the application of actually doing it, of actually not just learning about what a bass guitar is made out of, or, or, or learning about the theory of music, but actually practicing, and practicing, and gigging, and gigging, and rehearsing, and rehearsing, and learning, and learning, and apply it, it allows it to be used, it allows it to be played, it allows it to be something that we can enjoy. Let's have a little bit. Let's have a little bit of application. Now, I can do that, and I'm sure you can. (laughs) But that is how you should read the Bible. I mean, with an application, with a putting something into practice, and then apply it and live it out. Not as if it's this set of rules that is there above us. It's like dominating us. It's something people just use to hit us with. No, but it's something where it comes alive, and then you can play it. You can live it out. And as you live it out, you don't live it out as something, well, we can't do this, we can't do that. This book is about freedom. It's liberating us to play life with a bit of style, with a bit of creativity, with some color, with some panache, with some courage, with some determination, with a fortitude, with a knowledge, with an intelligence, with a hopefulness, with faith. Not something that is caused to put religious people into a box, but something that is designed as God's communication from heaven to earth to liberate us, to bring humanity into the place it's supposed to be. And you know, God went through a lot of trouble to get this to you. You see, I think of a man like William Tyndale, who knew how to read this. He knew how to read the original language. So he was able to get a hold of this in the 15th and 16th centuries. But he found that normal people weren't. There was no translation of the Bible available in English, even as late as the 16th century, almost a hundred years after the inventing of the printing press. But there was no translation available in English. And he said, man, we've got to help people. We've got to get this into people. 
he, he, he talked to a priest about it. And the priest said, well, if I had to choose between the, the Bible and the words of the Pope, I'd choose the Pope every time. And Tyndale looked at him with steely eyes and said to him, if God spares my life for long enough, I'll cause the boy, the boy that pushes the plow to know more of this book than you. And you know, Tyndale was chased out of this nation to our shame. And he went to Belgium. And from Belgium, he wrote this book in English. But the English authorities were so ticked off at him for trying to empower people, for trying to help people, not to say, hey, we've got all the answers up here, but say, hey, you challenge us. You read this for yourself. You ask questions. They were so ticked off at him that they found him in Belgium. And in 1536, they burned him at the stake for being a translator. But do you know what? They couldn't quash this book. And Tyndale's last words are said to be a prayer where he said, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. But you know, only 80 years later, less than that, we had a version of the Bible called the King James Bible. 80% of that Bible was taken directly from Tyndale's translation. And the king gave permission and authorization for this word. And the King James Bible, as we celebrated a few years ago, in 2011, the 500th anniversary, as many people said, our prime minister at the time said, the King James Bible became the most influential English document that has ever been printed. And you know what? God is so passionate for you to know him. That's why he wants to help you engage with this book. It's just a book. It's just a book. But Jesus is no ordinary person. And God wants you to engage with him. He's so passionate. And we have to engage. This is useless if it stays in a book. Don't stop at interpretation. But read it to know what's really there. Interpret it to understand it well. But then we've got to move forward. We've got to apply it because it will make a difference in your life. And it makes a difference in communities. And it makes a difference towards, you see, when we really know God. And when we engage with Him. Because the knowledge of God, it helps us to be who we're really meant to be. And I know there's people in this place, and you don't know God. You've never come to this God who is so passionate about you, and He loves you so much. And He's telling this story on the canvas of history. And he wants you to find your place within it. And you've never said to God, God, I've lived in this way where, man, I've just been living completely in my own way. I've never considered your voice in my life. But God, I want to I change. The Bible uses a word called repent. It means to change your mind, to change your thinking, and turn completely around. Turn 180 degrees around in your thinking. From you being in charge to hearing the voice of God and letting him lead you into a place of freedom. By asking God for forgiveness and accepting what Jesus did, what only he could do, we're able to enter into a relationship with him where everything changes. 
And if you've never done that this morning, I want to invite you to respond. And I want you to know a God who's done everything possible to communicate with you. And given us this book to help us understand who he is. But mostly in sending his own son to be one of us. To communicate with us his incredible love. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org. And stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.